Section 13 of the Celtic Twilight. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John O'Riordan. The Celtic Twilight by William Butler Yeats. The Glee Man. Michael Moran was born about 1794 off Black Pits in the Liberties of Dublin in Faddle Alley. A fortnight after birth he went stone-blind from illness, and became thereby a blessing to his parents, who were able soon to send him to rhyme and beg at the street corners and at the bridges over the river Liffey. They may well have wished that their quiver was full of such as he, for, free from the interruption of sight, his mind became a perfect echoing chamber, where every movement of the day and every change of the public passion whispered itself into rhyme or quaint saying. By the time he had grown to manhood, he was the admitted rector of all the ballad-mongers of the liberties. Madden, the weaver, Carney, the blind fiddler from Wicklow, Martin from Meath, Macbride from, well, heaven knows where, that Magran who in after days, when the true Moran was no more, strutted in borrowed plumes, or rather in borrowed rags, and gave out that there never had been any Moran at all but himself, and many another did homage to Moran before him, and held him chief of all their tribe. Nor, despite his blindness, did he find any difficulty in getting a wife, but rather was able to pick and choose, for he was just that sort of mixture of ragamuffin and of genius, which is dear to the heart of woman, who, perhaps because she is wholly conventional herself, loves the unexpected, the crooked, the bewildering. Nor did he lack, despite rags, many excellent things, for it is remembered that he ever loved caper sauce, going so far indeed in his honest indignation at his absence one day at dinner to fling a leg of mutton at his wife. He was not, however, much to look at, with a coarse frieze coat with its cape and scalloped edge, his old corduroy trousers and great brogues, and a stout stick made fast to his wrist by a thong of leather. He would have been a woeful shock to the gleeman McConglener, could that friend of kings have beheld him in prophetic vision from the pillar stone at Cork. And yet, though the short cloak and the leather wallet were no more, he was a true gleeman, being alike a poet, jester, and newsman of the people. In the morning, when he had finished his breakfast, his wife or some neighbour would read the newspaper to him, and read on and read on, until he interrupted with, That'll do now. I have me meditations. And from these meditations would come the day's store of jest and rhyme. He had the whole of the Middle Ages under his frieze coat. He had not, however, McConglinus hatred of the church and clergy, for when the fruit of his meditations did not ripen well, or when the crowd called for something more solid, he would recite or sing a metrical tale or ballad of saint or martyr or of biblical adventure. He would stand at a street corner, and when a crowd had gathered, would begin in some fashion as follows. I copy the record of one who knew him. He would say, Gather round me, boys, gather round me. Boys, am I standing in a puddle, or am I standing in wet? Thereupon several boys would cry, 
I know you says not. You're in a dry place. Go on and tell us about St. Mary or Moses. Each one calling for his favourite tale. Then Moran, with a suspicious wriggle of his body and a clutch at his rags, would burst out with, All me bosom friends are turned backbiters. And after a final saying, If yous don't drop your cotton and diversions, I'll soon have some of yous a case. By way of warning to the boys, he began, began his recitation, or perhaps still delay, and asked, Is there a crowd around me now? Is there any blackguard heretic around me? The best of his religious tales was St. Mary of Egypt, a long poem of exceeding solemnity, condensed from the much longer work of a certain Bishop Coyle. It told how a fast and loose woman of Egypt, Mary by name, followed pilgrims to Jerusalem for no good purpose, and then, turning penitent and finding herself withheld from entering the temple by supernatural interference, fled to the desert and spent the remainder of her life in solitary penance. When at last she was at the point of death, God sent Bishop Zosimus to hear her confession and give her the last sacrament, and, with the help of a lion whom God also sent, dig her grave. The poem has the intolerable cadence of the 18th century, but was so popular and so often called for that Moran was soon nicknamed Zosimus, and it is by that name that he is remembered. He had also a poem of his own called Moses, which went a little nearer poetry without going very near, but he could ill brook solemnity, and before long he parried his own verses in the following ragamuffin fashion. In Egypt's land, contagious to the Nile, King Pharaoh's daughter went to bathe in style. She took her dip and walked unto the land, to dry her royal pelt she ran along the sand. A bulrush tripped her, whereupon she saw a smiling babby in a wad of straw. She took it up, and with accents mild said, Terranageous girls, which of you owns the child? His humorous verses were, however, more often quips and cranks at the expense of contemporaries. It was his delight, for instance, to remind certain shoemaker, noted alike for display of wealth and for personal uncleanliness, of his inconsiderable origin in a song of which but the first stanza came down to us. At the dirty end of Dirty Lane lived a dirty cobbler, Dick MacLean. His wife was in the old king's reign, a stout, brave orange woman. On Essex Bridge she strained her throat, and sixpenny was her note. But Dickie wore a brand new coat, got up among the old men. He was a bigot like his clan, and in the streets he wildly ran. A roly-toly-toly raid, oh, with his old jade. He had troubles of diverse kinds, and numerous interlopers to face and put down. Once an official peeler arrested him as a vagabond, but was triumphantly routed amid the laughter of the court when Moran reminded his worship of the precedent set by Homer, no less, who was also, he declared, a poet and a blind man and a beggar man. 
he had to face a more serious difficulty as his fame grew because various imitators started up on all sides certain actor for instance made as many guineas as moran did shillings by mimicking moran's sayings and his songs and getting up on stage one night this actor was at supper with friends when a dispute arose as to whether his mimicry was overdone or not it was agreed to settle it by an appeal to the mob a forty-shilling supper at a famous coffee-house was to be the wager the actor took up his station at essex bridge a great haunt of moran's and soon gathered a small crowd he had scarce got through in egypt's land contagious to the nile when moran himself came up followed by another crowd the crowds met in great excitement and laughter good christian said the pretender is it possible that any man would mock a poor dark blind man like that who's that is it some impostor said moran be gone you wretch it's you're the impostor don't you fear the light of heaven being struck down from your eyes from mocking the poor blind dark man saints and angels is there no protection against this you're a most inhuman blackguard to try and deprive me of my honest bread in this way said poor moran and you you wretch won't you let me go on with the beautiful poem christian people in your charity won't you beat this man away he's taking advantage of my darkness the pretender seeing that he was having the best of it thanked the people for their sympathy and protection and went on with the poem moran listened for a time in bewildered silence and after a while moran protested again with is it possible that none of yous can know me do yous not see it's meself and that's not someone else before i can proceed any further in this lovely story interrupted the pretender i call on yous to contribute your charitable donations to help me go on have you no soul to be saved a mocker of heaven cried moran but completely beside himself by this last injury would you rob the poor as well as to save the world oh was ever such a wickedness known i leave it to yourselves my friends said the pretender to give to the real dark man that you all know so well and save me from that schemer and with that he collected some pennies and halfpennies and when he did so moran started his own mary of egypt but the indignant crowd seizing his stick were about to belabour him when they fell back bewildered anew by his close resemblance to himself the pretender now called on them to just give him a grip of that villain and he'd soon let him know what who the impostor was they led him over to moran but instead of closing with him he thrust a few shillings into his hand and turned to the crowd explaining to them that he was indeed but an actor and that he had just gained a wager and so departed amid such enthusiasm to eat the supper he had won in april eighteen forty six word was sent to the priest that michael moran was dying he found him at number fifteen patrick street on a straw bed in a room full of ragged ballad singers come to cheer his last moments after his death the ballad singers with many fiddles and the like came again and gave him a fine wake each adding to the merriment whatever he knew in the way of a ram a tale an old saw or a quaint rhyme he had had his day had said his prayers made his confession 
and why should they not give him a hearty send-off? The funeral took place the next day. A good party of his admirers and friends got into the hearse for the coffin, for the day was wet and nasty. But they hadn't gone far when one of them burst out. Ah, it's cruel cold, isn't it? Gara said another, we'll all be stiff as the corpse there when we get to the burying ground. Bad says to him, said a third, I wish he'd held out another month until the weather got decent. A man called Carol, their bond, produced a half pint of whisky, and they all drank to the soul of the departed. Unhappily, however, the hearse was overweighted, and they hadn't reached the cemetery before the spring broke, and the bottle with it. Mora must have felt strange and out of place in that other kingdom. He was entering now, perhaps with his friends, were drinking in his honour. Let us hope that some kindly middle region was found for him, where he can call dishevelled angels about him with some new and more rhythmical form of his old. Gather round me, boys, will yous? Gather round me, boys, will yous? Gather round me, and hear what I have to say, before old Sally brings me me bread and me jug a tay and fling outrageous quips and cranks at cherubim and seraphim. Perhaps he may have found and gathered, ragamuffin though he be, the lady of high truth, the rose of far-sought beauty, for whose lack so many of the writers of Ireland, whether famous or forgotten, have been futile as blown froth upon the seashore. End of The Glee Man